Welcome back, it's time for Customers Who Click. Today's topic is something that no company should be ignoring. That's super important as it involves exploring who your most valuable customers are, what they, what your customers buy, how often, whether you've got toxic products, or the, the time to the second and third purchase. We are, of course, talking about CVO, or Customer Value Optimization, and my guest today is Valentin Radu, founder of OmniConvert and probably the leader in the CVO space. I'm a big fan of CVO and, and everything Valentin talks about, really as it's not just about how to run some ads, it's a real deep dive into the health of a business and understanding where growth is really coming from. Let's get him on now. Hi, Valentin. Thanks for joining me today. Would you mind just introducing yourself, give give us a bit of your background and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, of course, Will. Thanks for having me today. And yeah, I'm an export kid from Bucharest, Romania, serial entrepreneur, built four companies, failed at one, made a great exit, made two exits, actually which were pretty good. And the fourth one is Omniconvert. We are helping companies to level up their retail game but by leveraging their their data. Awesome. Cool. Do you want to tell us about any of those businesses? Yeah. I think you've got a good story about sales, haven't you? Yeah, I have plenty of stories. One one cool story that I could share with you, with you and your audience today is back in the days, I was pretty poor. So I'm coming from a pretty modest family. And the, the first job, one of the first jobs I, I got my hold on, my head on, hands on, it was a job of selling insurance, life insurance. And I, I got trained by this American insurance group and I got to a secondhand store, to a thrift store. And I, I got a jacket, which is pretty long, you know, it was like, like this long. And I've started to, to basically persuade people on the phone and going at their their office i've i've learned about the funnel since i was i don't know i think i was 17 at that moment and i've learned a lot about optimization and basically uh, that hunger to to not only to survive but also to to thrive was from the very beginning and that's why i that's also the reason why I, why I've continued to to build companies. So the first company was an internet service provider because we wanted to play StarCraft all day long. <laughs> and we we built a network and then we got the broadband connection and then I've sold that company. I failed miserably at building an agency because it was too early. I got back with my tail between the legs at my father's place and he told me that I, I told you so and I've said yeah yeah sure. And then I founded another company, which was turned out to become the largest online car insurance player here in Romania. Sold that company, learned a lot about optimization because we couldn't only pay money to to ads. Clicks were very expensive at some point because the 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 competition showed up. And basically, I've optimized the conversion rate and customer lifetime value. And thanks to this type of knowledge, is I was for six years the e-commerce, an e-commerce entrepreneur, and I've run the marketing and the growth there. I've built OmniConvert, and now we we basically help companies to convert more customers from their visitors, and also we help retailers make sense of their data so that they they can understand who are their best customers, why they are buying, and to keep acquiring the the best customers that they. Awesome. Well, let's get stuck into that then. So how do you get customers clicking? By knowing what's bothering them. I think this is the most important thing. Action is being preceded by a struggle, right? So nobody wants to act only on pure information. Information, it's pretty boring, right? So X, Y, Z, if it's not affecting you emotionally, 
And if it's not related to some struggle that you previously had, you're not going to make this action of clicking. So in order to make customers click, you need to know what's bothering them, what's frustrating for them, because otherwise you are simply showing all sorts of messages which are not relevant to, to them. And how you know how what's bothering them, it's of course, thanks to the customer research. So you go out there and ask. Yeah, well, let's, let's get stuck into the research then. I suppose, like how, and we don't have to go fully into like jobs to be done and all that, but what, what, what are maybe some of the key research touch points that you recommend brands use and, and what, you know, what, what would you be your like top tips, I suppose, on, on doing customer research? Yeah, I, I guess this, this has a lot to do with how big is the company, because if the company is big enough, you can do plenty of stuff, right? You can do... And you can apply NLP research on the chat transcripts to identify the main themes from the data that you're collecting from your customers. You can do all sorts of stuff of things if you are big enough. If you are not big enough, let's say you are a small, mid-sized company like I, I've been, right? So uh, at some point I was so pissed off because we, we couldn't make uh, the cut, you know? I was an entrepreneur. And I was making less money than my, than my friends. And they were mocking, you know, they were working in these big multinational companies. And they always said, yeah, yeah, we'll pay for you, man, because you're always, you're always struggling. And if you think about it, the struggle that I felt made me do this research to understand how to become profitable, how to make customers click, how to make customers convert. And uh, I was running some surveys. So the, the, the easiest thing that you can do is to run online surveys. Now, the problem with running surveys without knowing how to ask the right questions is that you can get easily misled by the data that you're getting from them. And that's why my suggestion is to learn a bit about customer research. We, I've, I've made a lot of mistakes, but if you don't do mistakes and if you don't do them often enough, and if those are not big enough, you're not going to learn fast enough, let's say. So it's a good thing to, to basically change the, around what you are doing in terms of marketing. And the easiest form is to, do, to run online surveys. Yeah, zero-party data. You get data which is intentionally shared with you by your customers, by your visitors. And in order to get that, of course, you will, you, you will need to, to, have a, to have a plan. So you need to ask things the right way. And my suggestion is to start with open-ended questions. So I'm not a fan of coming up with, the, let's say, these are the, let's say, the choices. Because you will come up with the choices which you think are the best ones, which you, you, you can be surprised about. Well, also, what I've, what I've found working with clients is you might use the wrong language. It, it might kind of be the correct options, but it... Yeah might be the, not the language that the customer uses, which means either they might then give you the wrong answer or you decide, well, everyone has said this particular issue. So you start using that in your communications and it turns out no one talks about it like that. So no one's responding to that message. And then yeah. suddenly you're confused because your research has misled you. Yeah, that's, that's a very valid, valid argument, Will, and I can totally relate with, with this. But again, not asking it's way worse than asking them in a, let's say, suboptimal manner, let's say. Yeah. So basically, you start with asking customers and they will come up with a lot of things. If there are open-ended questions, you will have, I don't know, what brought you to our website today? 
what the star, what ladies made you purchase from us today, what almost stopped you from buying from us today, whatever. So you can ask, and according to the funnel that you have, you have, let's say, bouncers, which are there just to whatever. There are shoppers, which are basically getting to the product pages. So they are, and then you have buyers, people which are on the adding to cart. So the, the idea is to, to understand where they are in the buying journey so that you ask things that are relevant for them and to you. Because at the end of the day, you're not just putting questions. You put those questions in order to change things. So if the insights that you will generate with these questions are not actionable, then you're just wasting your time asking for I- irrelevant questions. But the yeah. the whole idea is to start. So that that that's one uh, form of research. Just, just on that note, yeah, I, I, I worked with a brand a couple of years ago and they insisted on having a question in their survey which was i think it was it was just which of these products are you aware of that they sell so they they listed their product catalog product listing product catalog which was only uh, less than 10 products right so it, it kind of meant made sense to do it and uh, the responses came through and it was like well i, I could have told you this right <laughs> because you don't advertise the other. Pro- they've got, basically got a hero products, which came with something else. Yeah. None of the other products got advertised. None of the other products were very visible on the website. So it was just, at the end of it, it was like, well, what was the point of this question? Yeah. You, know, you also got your web analytics solution, right? You can you can see how many people are on product. Yeah. How many people visit the pages for those products? Yeah. Not a lot. Therefore, how long they are sticking around? How long are they are scrolling? Whatever. So there are. And 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 I guess well this is an important aspect that must be must be mentioned. You don't have to ask things that you already know. You have to 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 ask yourself how am I going to use this type of data? Because you have way more accurate data in your web analytics for for a solution for that. You you can get into a trap considering you know what only sixty percent are aware of product B, but if you look on Google Analytics, there are eighty two percent, and then you come up with all these type of small measurements and contradictions with the within the company maybe. But the the best would be to to ask things which are related to their perception, right? Because we if you are selling anything, you are selling a promise. So nobody knows what's there. You, you know, I mean. If, if you have first-time customers, they never bought from you, even though they are buying the same freaking product. Let's say they buy an iPhone and you can find this iPhone everywhere. If it's the same product, but they are buying it from you, they will have the, let's say, the mystery. They will be, let's say, a bit reluctant. They will lack the whole trust of buying from you. So basically, you need to sell the promise of we will get you this iPhone, but hey, you will get it like nobody sold this to you. Because the component that you, you, you need to take into account is what is their current perception about what you are broadcasting to them. Mainly, that means you have the product which is wrapped in your marketing messaging and at the end of the day, they will get the customer experience. So basically, these are the three pillars, as I call them, of customer value optimization, right? So if you want to have better customers, take care about all these three aspects. What you are selling, what you are saying, which is marketing, and what you are doing, which is the whole customer experience, the buying experience, the ship, the, the shipment and and the, the whole things. Let's just let's take a step back. Do you want to just talk us through customer value optimization? 
Yep. First, let's let's yeah define let's define it, and then yep. and then we'll talk about what goes into it. Just for those who who aren't aware. Yeah, I was aware at some point in my existence as an e-commerce entrepreneur that there are mainly two ways to grow our business. So we either acquire more customers, we either make our customers buy more, which means higher AOV or a higher purchase frequency. So basically, these are the two ways to make, to build any e-commerce. And we, I realized that, you know what, we are focusing too much on acquiring new customers, which means more traffic and more better conversion rate, right? So these are the two things that lead to more customers. But on the other side of the spectrum, I've realized, you know what, maybe if we acquire the right customers from the very beginning with the right messaging and with the right products, maybe they will buy more. So I've made this freaking research, like it was 2011, and we were selling online car insurance. Like in the UK, you have GoCompare, you have Confused, I think, or something like that. So yep. there are these aggregators, right? So we dived into our data, we looked at our own data, and we realized, you know what? We have the luxury car owners, which are paying a lot on their insurance. I don't know if it's the same in the UK, Will, but here, if you have, I don't know, if you have a, a Porsche or whatever, a Ferrari, you, you're paying like crazy on the insurance. And the people that are insuring these, car, these cars, they are looking for better options because the MTPL, you're not buying it for you. And that's another thing that we found through research. You're buying for the other person that you've hit his or her car. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that's it's an interesting point, isn't it? Because that applies. Obviously, that ex- example exactly doesn't apply to a lot of things, but there's always another factor that influences someone's purchase. Yeah. And and yeah, you sometimes it isn't I it isn't I want the insurance for my car, it's I need the insurance because if I smash someone else's car up exactly. like if, if I hit a Ferrari, I'm screwed if I don't have an insurance. <laughs> exactly. So ba- basically through our research we've re- realized from the qualitative research we've realized first how people are making these purchase decisions. And on the other end, we've realized that, hey, we have truck owners and luxury car owners, which are making something like 28% of the revenue. However, if we, and we've drilled down into the data and we've looked, you know what? If we look at the gross margin, then we are making most of our money, more than 50% of our margin, it's coming from that, those two cohorts of so truck owners, truck car, car drivers, and the luxury car owners. And when we realized that, we said, okay, so then we must change our acquisition as well. So if you think about the process that I've been through, and basically that's customer value optimization, you, you begin with the end in mind, you look at, hey, who are our best customers, the ones that we want to acquire, what they are buying, why they are buying, and then you change the acquisition as well. And that's the, let's say, the virtuous loop, you know, you have the life cycle beginning with the best customers and selling what you should be selling in order to increase the customer value, the, the value that you're getting from the customers. I've actually got the exact opposite example to share yeah. where we, we worked out that we were acquiring, acquiring the worst possible customers. And it, and it came up because people were using the wrong metrics, right? And this is exactly what you're on about, right? Customer lifetime value. We ran, I was working for a digital magazine subscription, similar to kind of Spotify, Netflix sort of model. And we were acquiring these customers 
through, I think, Facebook ads at about a pound per sign up. So not just, so it was an app based, so not just an install, about a pound per sign up. And it was like, this is great. We've got such a, and this is the thing, right? It was, we've got such a great acquisition channel here. We're getting customers a pound per user. And then we looked into what these what these users were really doing. You know, a month later, we'd review the cohort and we'd say, well, actually, none of these are paying, right? They're all having their free trial and, and disappearing. What's going on? And it turned out this these people were all coming in to read gossip magazines, which are like weekly magazines that cost about a pound to buy. They were reading those and then, dis- right? Because there was no way they were going to spend 9 99 on a subscription service when they could spend four pounds in the shops and, and get what they needed. So yeah. when we reviewed that data, it was like, actually, these are terrible campaigns. Let's stop, let's stop this, this advertising message, stop this tar- this interest targeting and ditch that completely. Yeah. But there was that real risk that if we hadn't done that deeper research, someone would have said, this is great. We're getting such, such cheap customers. Let's just keep running that spend. Yeah. And I guess, Will, that's a fantastic example on the opposite side of the spectrum because, as you can see, many people think that increasing customer lifetime value, it's only a retention game, which I think it's it's wrong because it's not only about the retention. It's first about the acquisition. We all know that. It's pure math, right? If you stop acquiring customers, you stop. Eventually, all your customers will churn. So it's not about only increasing the customer retention. So when you start doing a customer value optimization research and you you look at hey who are your our best customers then you end up fixing not only the retention but also the acquisition because we it was that saying i like i like it a lot because it's so suggestive from from Desmond Tutu it we need to stop saving people from drowning we need to go upstream to find why they are drowning right yeah. so if so, so basically, that's that's how it works in marketing as well. So, CVO, customer value optimization, it's about in, improving the whole life cycle. And if you find who are your best ones, who are the ones that they are so stubborn, let's say, and they are so open to buy from your brand that they keep on buying despite all the barriers that you put in front of them, consciously or unconscious. And if you go out there and find which are the customers that have the behavior that you want them to have, then you will end up tweaking your marketing, changing your channels, changing the strategy, and eventually growing up your... your. Yeah. And again, like in a, in a similar way with this magazine app, we identified you know, what, what makes a good customer, right? What's, what are the actions they take within the app that indicates that someone should then purchase a subscription? Yeah. And then we started targeting that behavior. So that was, well, how do we optimize the app itself to make sure people take these actions as quickly as possible? How do we, how do we tailor our email, email comms and things? So a, a little bit different because we were still applying that idea that you could turn anyone into a good customer, which is not entirely true. But yeah, it's, it's that kind of a little bit similar in that it's once you identify who they use, who these good customers are and why they are good customers, you try and either acquire similar customers or get other customers to take those actions. So hopefully they become those good customers as well. Yeah, exactly. I, I love that, that that statement that you've just shared that many people think that 
they can turn any customer into a good customer, which is uh, is very far from true. At the end of the day, we have we have the purchase uh, intention, but we also have the purchase power. So basically, if we if if we are if you are selling whatever luxury products, then the trick is not to 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 look at the ones which are more most interested, but to look at the ones which are also interested. And they have the purchase power. So at the end of the day, it's that that's also a thing that you can find out through through customer research. For instance, we worked with the brand, uh, the largest furniture player here in Romania. It's like the IKEA alternative, but a bit higher, higher, higher than like a brand. You know, the perceived value is higher than uh, of IKEA. Yeah, and we've made this research for them, and we realized that their customers were willing to pay more just not to buy from ikea it was it was the perception of status you know it was like they, they they've they've managed to build in i don't know they are they are 28 years old brand already they've managed to build an aspirational brand so it was like when you're moving to a new home you don't want to buy furniture from ikea because you respect yourself you heard you've le- you've you've worked so hard to move into your yeah that that you can't, you don't want to just throw some sofa from IKEA over there. It was the perception of the brand. Yeah, it's just interesting the way you phrase it, isn't it? You don't want to just chuck a sofa from IKEA in there. Like there'll be loads of people who are thinking, you know, what's wrong with IKEA? Exactly. And but, but I, but I know your point, right? It's, it's, it's seen as, I guess, it's seen as a bit of a, the starting point, furniture brand. Like it's the first furniture you get. It's not the furniture you're gonna die with or retire with, right? <laughs> the, yeah, right. the the idea is that you'd get some, I guess, just just higher end stuff. Exactly. I guess that's one of those like irrational things a bit, isn't it? Because if it, it really, you could argue, if furniture does the job, it does the job. That's it. That's what you bought it for. Yeah, but what's the actual job of the furniture? That's that's actually important. You know, I was talking with Bob Mesta that there is the job of the retail the retailer itself. And it's also the job of the sofa. And the the sofa has four jobs, for instance. And people are buying a sofa mainly for one of those four jobs. It fills out the empty space because you don't want to just throw a, a chair there. You know, it's if the living room is big enough, you you want to fill out the space. It brings family together, and someone someone it's buying it exactly for for that. It shows your status, your social status, right? Because it's like that's. That's my that's my space. So it's like the jewel on the crown, you know, when you you get your friends in your new flat and you show them this is the living room and there is something over there which is the sofa, you know. Sofa's always a big thing, isn't it? People yeah. always it's always something people talk about when they move. It's like, oh, I've I've ordered my sofa, it's supposed to arrive in a couple of weeks after I move in. It's kind of a, an excitement piece around moving in, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. And, and the fourth job of the sofa, it's it it helps you when you are tired, but you don't want to sleep already. It's like it, it's that intermediate place where you can feel like, yeah, I've, I've arrived, you know, after a long day, a job or whatever. So if, when you just want to chill, that's, that's the, the sofa. And there are people which are mainly buying the sofa exactly for these four jobs, you know, like I just want to have something over there to fill out the space or I want to show off that that's the that's that's my my house 
and or whatever. So basically, once you know those things, you can address, you can use different messaging for different sofas, right? So basically, there are sofas which are fantastically, they look amazing. They are designer sofas and they are, I don't know, the, the $8,000 sofa where you are, you, you're not going state that it fills out the space. You're not going to stay <laughs> yeah. something like, uh, like, yeah, and it's bring it's bringing the family together because it's big enough. It maybe it's not that big, you know, maybe. And the whole idea is about status. You will, yeah. uh, you will look like you, you, you deserve a sofa like this or your home, your new home deserves a sofa like, like this one. And basically that, that's how you play with the jobs to be done, which is a part of the customer value optimization methodology, you know? Yeah. Cool. What's, what are the metrics that matter with customer lifetime value? Customer yeah, lifetime that's, value? That's, that's a great question. So to set out the, uh, a bit, the stage is that first of all, customer lifetime value, it's an average. Yeah. It's a predictive measure of what's the value of a customer that is coming, that is going to buy from, according to the, let's say, historical patterns. So when you have an average, you need to take care about the average, right? Because on average, I don't know, the, the average temperature in St. Louis and in San Francisco is 30 degrees, but during the winter, it's totally different, right? So basically, it's about what is the, what is the average. So the first thing that matters is to monitor customer lifetime value but to look at customer lifetime value by and to segment it, to see what is the CLV, what's the customer lifetime value by channel, what is the customer lifetime value by category. So if I'm starting to buy this product over another one, what's going to be the CLV? Then what is the customer lifetime value by customer segment, which is a very important thing. And that leads our conversation to the, the, the need of having customer segmentation. In retail, I'm a big fan of RFM, recency, frequency, monetary value, or other business models like subscription, software as a service, whatever, RFM can't, can't work because it's too transaction. So that's what's important with the CLV. And then the metrics that matter that are basically building up the CLV are purchase frequency, like how many orders per customer, are being placed customer retention, which is often confused with the repeat purchase rate. So basically the, the, the difference between them is that with the repeat purchase rate, you take it, you slice the data only for, 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 for a timeline. Yeah. With the customer retention, you look at the whole timeline of the, of the store. Let's say how many customers placed two plus orders in, at the end of the period over how many customers have been paying at the beginning of the period. So basically that's also customer retention is important. Then you, you have the customer acquisition cost, of course, because the purpose of CLV, another, let's say, purpose of the CLV is to help marketing teams understand how much they can afford to pay to acquire a new customer. And that means you have, you need to have the balance between customer acquisition cost, how much you are paying and how much you are getting for that customer. The caveat here is that you also need to look not only at the customer acquisition cost, but also at the customer acquisition cost payback period. Like in how, how long is going to take your company to break even after acquiring a customer? Because once you know that, maybe you will have, you'll make different decisions. And this is 
particularly important for smaller companies where cash flow it's uh, it's crucial right so basically you, you have to be mindful not only to break even but to break even fast enough so that you can have the lights open so we we use that a lot in gambling but i think the gambling company i was at here in the uk a lot of cost of acquisition against we used plv predictive lifetime value yeah. we also had clv but clv was the actual this is how much this customer has been worth and then there was plv which was the this is how much we predict them to be worth over two years based off their first seven days interaction on the website and that's how good the model was and then yeah we when we were talking about acquisition i, I remember we, we you know heavily regulated industry right and, and regulations change so there would constantly be things happening in, in in the regulations and and our coo would just pop into a meeting one day and be like we can afford to go up to 70 cost of acquisition to to predict the lifetime value right because we want to be aggressive let's go aggressive let's just we're gonna we're gonna price everyone else out the market by by saying we can accept that level of that, yeah that level of cac but otherwise normally we we operated at, at about 30 33 which i think is the kind of general i know it's in, in sas i think that's the general recommended guideline on it I think we'll hear it. what what worth mentioning is that many companies are unaware about their customer lifetime value, and if they are aware, they know they don't know what value means. So value can be revenue, value can be gross margin, value can be operating margin, value can be net margin. So my my suggestion is to to sort out these numbers first because the CNV is like a bridge, which is hopefully unifying. The marketing perspective with the financial pers perspective is basically that those can't be separated, can't be silos anymore because the CAC is going so so much up these days that you have to pay attention to the CLV and you have to understand how CLV is being calculated because the finance, let's say, if they are not customer centric, they will look only at things like year over year revenue, trend, growth, what's the GMV and whatever. But they are the, at the end of the day, what matters are the ones which are making the purchase decisions, which are customers, individuals that have emotions. And we've seen this through the pandemic. So when the demand has changed, guess what happened with the, the models, the predictive models, which were not looking at the, the customer behavior. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen plenty of brands, which I mean, maybe, maybe they're just inexperienced. I think some of these were relatively inexperienced founders and, and management teams, but all these brands who massively over forecast 2022 and 2023 based on 2020 and 21 performance, when yeah. things absolutely, you know, in, in these categories, which absolutely exploded in over COVID and lockdown, and then they kind of just assumed that that would... And all it took was all, I mean, you didn't even have to do customer research on that. All you had to do was a little bit of market research to understand what was going on there. But just a topic of like how you measure value. So what, one thing I always look at with when I do CRO is like, you know, trying to make profitable conversions, right? Because I, I, I could lift conversions by just putting a massive discount on the website. But really it's, you know, I always talk about, we want to convert people because they're, we've convinced them it's the right product. Right. So it's not when I, you know, when I talk about profitable conversions, I'm not really talking about the numbers and the metrics. I just mean it's my approach to CRO. It's 
we want to talk about value, not give incentives and discounts. And I, I saw something today actually about, I don't know when this change occurred, but Shopify have apparently changed the way they calculate AOV on their dashboard. And they've removed, from what I understand, they've removed tax and shipping costs from AOV, whereas previously it was included. So that is, it's a little bit more in line with how you should calculate it because those costs aren't really yours, right? Tax, you you have to give away straight away anyway. And and shipping is mostly going to, you know, it's a shipping cost, right? So I, I think that's a good move. I think it's surprising people because the AOVs have dropped. But actually, it's, well, this is your actual money, isn't it? Yeah. Another important aspect in how Shopify is reporting is that you look at the, the, the revenue from actual orders, but you also have a return rate. So many times you are... You are That's in it as well. And, and basically, you, 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 you are not aware about what's, what's actually going on. And we've seen an interesting report, for instance, to look at what's the return rate by RFM segment, and you will see that this is basically these are the the, the this is the golden goose, the golden geese, right? Yeah. So your best customers, they have the lowest return rates, they have the highest band, they they don't ask a lot of questions, they are not flooding your customer uh, service with questions. They basically those are the 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 right customers to focus uh, focus on. Yeah, they basically they come to your website, they get the credit card out, and they go. That's it. Sorted. Lovely. As opposed to those people who land on your website, they immediately claim the discount, they get in touch with customer service, they probably ask for another discount as well. Yeah. They, they place the minimum order, probably complain about the fact that they've, sh- they've been charged for shipping despite the clear, the clear uh, free shipping threshold. Um, probably get in touch with customer service again once they've got the product. Or even before it's arrived, you know, they're just those sort of customers where you're like, you are just, you're just hassle and yeah. a drain of energy. Uh, and by all, by all means, Will, those customers, they also help you pay the, pay the bills, right? So it's not like yeah. you have, you, you could have only the, I don't know, the, the, the top of the top customers, but you can just adjust the 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 messaging and maybe you could look at if there are some patterns instead of, in terms of the product assortment like are some products that are mainly bought by your best customers when you look at the rfm segments because once you know that maybe you could prioritize them differently on your website maybe you could bid more on the the ads for for those kind of products because knowing this type of data will give you a plethora of opportunities to to to, to change and I'm I'm a big fan of the 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 Byron Sharp's perspective about yeah you need to continuously acquire customers you can't be so stubborn to look only at the 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 best customers however by looking at the data at our best brands we have now with Omniconvert reveal we we've managed to have more than three thousand brands right with three thousand companies pushing data through our systems and we 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 see this consistently like we have the 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 Pareto's law, let's say it's not like 28, it's more like 20, 55, 60. So basically the top 20% of your customers, we bring something like 55 to 60% of the revenue. But when we look at the gross margin, those are the customers that are the most profitable. So the other ones, they just help you have enough revenue so that you can keep the lights open. But the profit yeah. is coming from your best customer. So that's why you have to be aware about 
how to tweak and how to run experiments. Like, because without running experiments and basically, and, and that's why I love the CRO methodology because basically CVO, it's what CRO it is for the website, the CVO is for the entire organization, right? So while CRO, it's, you, you change the website, you change the messaging, you, 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 you change the UI in order to have more customers out of the total visitors with the CVO, it's you tweak the website, the acquisition, the, the customer support, the custom, the whole customer journey so that you end up with more valuable customers. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, that's what everyone wants, wants right? Although hey, you get the feeling these days, even these days, people still just want more customers. Uh, and I suppose that's the problem, isn't it? That's the, the problem that you're trying to fix. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's dealing with all these brands who are still going down that route of we just need to acquire more customers, more customers. Yeah, and that's the mantra. And I was I was thinking about it recently. I had the podcast with Brian Eisenberg. It was a very fun fun podcast in the in the CVO Live where, where you've been as well. Uh, Will and we we talked about the the fact that acquiring more customers it's kind of it makes you feel proud like. That this month we've managed to acquire twenty-five thousand new customers, or whatever, two thousand, two hundred. But nobody can brag about the fact. You know what? We've managed to retain one hundred and fifty more customers of the newly acquired ones. So because it's it's not so sexy to brag about no. that, increase the customer lifetime value. And basically, this is a very simple number. You can you can tell your to your friends about it but if you tell your friends about the customer lifetime value is too sophisticated for for them yeah and i suppose there's, there's always going to be that person who says well how do you know that you influence that how do you know you retain those customers yeah. and that's where yeah you start to lose hope with certain people but yeah cool we're a little bit short time is there anything else you want to add about clv cvo well i guess what what i would like to add is that this, there is a process which works and we are at the, let's say, beginning of this methodology. And if you are interested into improving this, I think you would be among the pioneers. So if there are anyone listening out, out there, this stuff is going to happen for sure, because it's way too, let's say, uh, hard for companies to continue with this chaotic reporting where the marketing has this KPI and then the the fulfillment has that KPI, and then we have the product, merchandising, you name it. So the yeah. beauty of CLV is that it aligns everyone and is the the it's a metric which will which will be adopted more and more in the in the future as marketing is evolving and we are transitioning to from acquisition marketing to life cycle life cycle marketing. Yeah. Well it's it's gonna it's about breaking down these silos, isn't it? That's that's a big, big problem. Which probably holds holds back a lot of businesses on things like like CVO because if you've got those silos in place, it's just yeah, it's going to be impossible, isn't it? Cool. So yeah, just before we finish, is there anyone in the e-commerce marketing space you'd like to sit down for lunch with? Oh yeah, man, I like a lot Rick Watson. We had the, I had I had a fun interview with him. Like, do no, it was pre-pandemic. 
but he's a stud and I really love that 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 guy I think he's he's one of the most he has one of the most mature voices in the uh, in the space okay cool I'll, I'll have to yeah I'll have to check him out and finally any marketing tools you'd recommend to brands well besides ours yeah I definitely recommend to to e-commerce companies to to focus on automated tools. So basically there are all sorts of tools that I used to, to, to recommend as well. There are things like pricing, which price S, Y, and C to, to, to improve, improve automatically the price of your, of your products in real time. So if you have a lot of SKUs, I think this, uh, this is a great technology. Besides that, anything that allows you to orchestrate things around the customer journey, these are my favorites. So basically, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Clavio, of Gorgias as well. We, we have a yeah. very good integration with Gorgias because we capture the NPS. And then if you have detractors, which are very valuable, then you have automatically a ticket in Gorgias. And that's how you turn the or support from a cost center to a profit center, right? Because yeah, if absolutely. you prevent the churn, you, you will end up having a more valuable cohort of newly acquired customers. Yeah, absolutely. And Gorgeous reports a lot on that. The the money, the kind of revenue generated through customer support, doesn't it? So it can show you, you know, the, these customers were kind of saved by customer support or, or their questions answered, which is fantastic. Sorry, one final thing. You've got a book coming out. That's right? right. Tell us a bit about that quickly. Yeah, so I've been drying my mouth talking about customer lifetime value. And uh, then I've uh, ended up working with closely with a few brands. So I've Personally, work with eleven brands from different uh, different industries. I've learned a lot about it. I've let's say understood this process, and that's why I've decided to to write this book. It's called The CVO Revolution. If you love losing customers, you're gonna hate this book. It's going to be available in April, and yeah, basically I've squeezed over there with my editor everything that someone needs in order to understand how to grow an e-commerce because I've, I'm a former e-commerce entrepreneur and then I've had the chance to to look at all this data from thousands of, uh, of companies. Awesome. And do you know where, where, where can people find the book? Is it going to be on the Omni Convert website? Yeah, we have, have, a, special, we have a special landing page for it. It's, it's basically on bit.ly slash CVO minus book you can get the first chapter okay. for free from there and when once we release it will you will be awesome cool i'll make sure that's in the show notes perfection okay awesome well if anyone wants to find out more from you what's the best way of getting in touch linkedin man i'm there i'm doing videos i'm posting every day and you can find me and I, i'd love to to help you out so if you think i can be of help just shoot me a a, a message I'll i'll be glad to to help you out awesome all right thanks so much valentin Thank you, Will, and thanks everyone for listening to this episode. If you're not already exploring CVO, now is the time to do so. Install the Reveal app, the OmniConvert app, and explore the reports it'll give you. I think you'd be pleasantly surprised by the insight you get from it. The winners in 2023 are going to be those who understand their business the best. Not just top level, which channels work best and what your blended CPA is, but really understanding how your customers are spread through your RFM model and what sort of buying behaviours they display. If you'd like to know more about CVO, you can follow Valentin on LinkedIn or get his book when it's released in May. Any other podcast questions, feedback or guest requests, please send them over to will at customerswhoclick.com or DM me on LinkedIn. Next up, I've got Greg Reiter joining me and we're going to be talking about his Shopify competitor, LaunchCut. 
and the essential apps every brand should be using. But until then, keep those customers clicking. Oh,